This is another edition of Idaho Catholic Podcasts, but not for But we are back. I have a sp- this is Mike Roberts, and I have a special guest this time. Even though he's technically not in Idaho, we are using the interwebs to bring him to Idaho. Deacon Pat, how you doing? Hey, it's great. It's great to be back. Where has the Idaho Catholic Podcast been? I think it just evaporated for well, a while. Yeah, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this excuse out there. Okay, I'm gonna say that our last podcast was right before Lent, right? Yeah, yeah. And we took Lent off. We said no, no social media, including creating social media. I don't want to tempt people who have given up, you know, media and so forth for Lent. So I just decided to. Actually, that's not true. I'm I'm committing to sin there. That we we just got we just got behind. We just got we're busy, Pat. I I think you guys slowed down so much you fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do need more sleep. Let me tell you, that little Teresa, my little my little baby girl, she she uh, needs to let mom and dad sleep some more. Hey, I got to tell you. So I'm I'm in California. I'm in Sacramento, so Northern California. And for weeks, um, every day I look outside, we have this beautiful blue sky. Sometimes we have a little scattering of clouds, usually not. It's just this beautiful blue sky. Liz and I wake up in the morning. We go on our walks in the morning because it's just so nice outside. And then I plan to be part of this Idaho Catholic podcast today. Wake up cloudy rainy gray skies are you saying that's a sign or something that's the, is there some correlation to uh <laughs> with idaho no it's been nice here don't bring that don't bring that that heavy cloud of depression on me that negativity right right <laughs> <clears throat> so what what are we going to talk about today well today um, we could just pick up where we left off. I know it's been, what, seven, eight weeks since we last did an Idaho Catholic podcast, or ICP as we call it. But we we talked about the seven deadly sins last time, and then the corresponding uh, lively virtue, the antidote. Um, and we left off, so we talked about pride, envy, anger. If you uh, didn't listen to that one, it's not too late. Go back and listen to that one. You don't have to do them in order, of course. Sins are sins no matter what order they come in, right? That's but true. today, maybe we can hit the rest of these. we got sloth, avarice, also known as greed, gluttony, and lust. And the corresponding virtues are zeal, generosity, asceticism, and chastity. Yeah, you know what? Let's let's jump in with uh, greed. Let's talk about that. Greed. Am yeah. I going out of order? Do you have like a plan to this podcast? I just said there's no good order. Let's just yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, hey, I should I got, have a really good tidbit on that. So go ahead. Well, it. well, you know, I, sometimes I just wing it, but um, you know how things kind of pop into your mind and, or you notice things. So I've been noticing this trend at work because. Um, you know, I work so obviously California has its own culture, and and I'm, we're living in the city. We're in the city of Sacramento, and and my wife Liz and I we haven't lived in a city um, for years and years and years. We're we're like country folk, you know. And hmm. we grew up in Northern California in a rural area. Okay, 
Um, and we were there for quite some time. Well, anyway, we're in this city right now and it has its own little, it has its own culture. And I noticed that people like work really hard here and they have many, many jobs. And now it's expensive to live here. And maybe that's part of it. Um, like most but, people have two jobs? No, they have two or three. And so even I was, I was, that's I was crazy. It's crazy. And I was just thinking, so why are, why are they doing this? So here's a good example. There was a guy today, he works full-time at the hospital. He's a charge nurse of one of the units. He works full-time. And when you work full-time in a psychiatric hospital, um, you, you're exhausted by the end of the day. You know, even eight hours, you're exhausted. Oh, yeah. And he was drinking a cup of coffee as he was leaving at 3.30 in the afternoon today. You know, he, he arrived there at 7 in the morning and he was going to his second job. And I said, you, you have two jobs? He says, I have three jobs. And he was pretty proud of that. But I was thinking, how can you work that much and still have a quality of life with children and your spouse? And, and, and why, why is he doing that? Because I, I know how much money he makes. He makes pretty good money at, you know, where we are. Sure. So like, I just started thinking, is, 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 is wanting more and being greedy is it ingrained into a lot of cultures where maybe that people don't even really realize they're sacrificing so much by being so much more? I don't know. What are your thoughts, Mike, on that? We do. There's this need to have more and to accumulate wealth, accumulate things. And boy, if you move, if you ever move, you realize that those things are such a pain to have. <laughs> it's a bird. Yeah, when you're moving, right? I know. I just did it. <laughs> um, luckily, we didn't have that. I was gonna say we didn't have that much to move, but I, I didn't. I, I, I should probably say I should probably ask you because you helped me move. <laughs> it was a piece of cake. It was like it, it was, was. You know, loaded. Quick. We loaded the truck in what? It felt like I don't know. A couple hours, maybe. A couple hours. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was great. Well, you guys did a great job of packing everything first. So that's, that's always a help. You yeah, know, what, I, th I think there's this, there's this attitude. One, one thing I, I, I used to really be into Stephen Covey's, the seven habits of highly effective people. And one of the, one of the principles he talks about in there is the attitude of abundance versus an attitude of scarcity. An attitude of scarcity says, I gotta get all I can. I have to hoard everything, you know, hoarding not only material things, but hoarding knowledge. Yeah. Being greedy about that that's my piece of the you know, that's that's my knowledge. Or hoarding um, recognition. You know, like there's not enough to go around. And it talks about having having an attitude of abundance, I think counteracts that because you realize there is plenty of there's plenty of things to there's plenty of things to share there's plenty of materials to material wealth to share there's plenty of um recognition to share you don't have to try and 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 covet it all and, and hoard it all you mike do you think somehow you know as you're talking i'm just thinking and you know people always see well many people are seeking more and more and trying to fill things in their life, fill up, fill up their life. And, and so what, why are they trying to fill? Do you, do you think that they 
are somehow feeling empty in some way. So they're always seeking to try to fill themselves up more and more and more. It does somehow, does that maybe relate to that they don't really, really understand who they are and what their own purpose in, if they're always seeking something else to, to try to complete themselves, um, is it because they're always looking externally instead mm. of be internally? Um, yeah. God created them to be, and they don't even realize, they don't even recognize. Kind of fill a hole, yeah. Yeah. So I, I wonder no, about that. That's really interesting. You know, there's, I read this book, uh, this amazing book. If you're a man, you need to go read this this book. It's called Wild at Heart, by written by I think it's Mark Eldridge. It talks about the the search for every man to to uh, come to terms with with feeling like they have what it takes to be a good man. They have what it takes to be a real strong uh, man, and you know, every man struggles with that and they go and they seek out different areas, different things in their life to try and prove that they have what it takes to be a man. And all those roads end, uh, end up in, in a dead end, end up in sin and vice. And that really the only person that can tell you and affirms your manhood is God. And so when we're seeking after God and we, when we look to please him, we're seeking to please him and, and we, we have a clear conscience because we're doing the right thing. We're following him. We're, we're keeping the commandments. We're um, avoiding sin and the, the near temptation of sin. So we are pleasing God and that's where we find true fulfillment. I, I think one of the struggles that a lot of people have, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think one of the struggles that people have is <clears throat> How do they know that they're that they're pleasing to God? I, I think guys, and I'm sure women too, but I don't know how women think, but guys, they need confirmation in their life that what what they're doing is the right thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 the way that they're acting or who that they're becoming in life, you you really experience this in young adulthood. The direction you're going in life and the way that you're living your life. You, you guys really need confirmation. And that's why right. like, grandparents or parents that are supportive are so important to a young adult. But so, so where I'm going with this is if guys really need this confirmation in life and they're trying to live a certain way, but they don't, many do not know how to hear or perceive God's voice. So even if, even if um, in an ideological kind of way, they know that, that the only way to really feel fulfilled in life is to do God's will in life. If they don't know how to perceive or hear God's voice, how do they get that confirmation? Mm, yeah. Because how many guys that do you know really have a profound and intimate prayer life or have great discernment skills to be able to know that they're doing the will of God or feeling confirmed in what they're doing by God. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think it's it's an interesting. Um, inter- I think it's interesting. This is kind of a joke here of how we got on this topic when we're talking about avarice and <laughs> greed and generosity. But it just flowed right into this, which I love it. But I, I think I think you kind of you kind of answered it there by um, 
what, what, actually, what, what did you say right before discernment? You said it was a spiritual uh, prayer life. Right. You know, I, there's, I don't think there's one magic. What is a, uh, what's the term? I'm, uh, there's, there's no silver bullet. Right. To answer that question. I think it's a series. It's a lifestyle that you live. Um, so here, here's, here's off the top of my head here. Here's what I would say. Okay. Um, so a good prayer life, reading scripture, exam, daily examination of conscience, um, study, rigorous study of, of the faith. You know, what I mean by that is a, a well-formed conscience. You know, we talk about the church. One thing I hate about this, this, there's this thing going out there now about, well, follow your conscience and that'll tell you what's right, you know. And I'm not talking about the world saying this. I'm talking about bishops, the clerics in the church saying this, but they don't say, they don't follow it up with how to form a, how to have a well-formed conscience. They just say, well, whether you're not, you know, they say, well, that's a decision you should make by following your conscience, whether you should do X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, in many cases, I'm like, the church has a well-established teaching on that topic you know are you sharing that topic are you saying how to have a well a, a, a well-formed conscience or not and they're and they're not but anyways i digress um so yeah well-formed conscience daily examination of conscience spiritual uh, uh daily prayer life um, um and then uh one of the key things which this is one thing i'm not doing right now which i need to get back into is having a, a spiritual director yeah, yeah. We've talked about that before, I remember. Yeah. But I think having a well-formed conscience and doing an examination, daily examination of conscience is is that's that's the bread and butter there of knowing whether you're whether or not you are on the right path. If you can't defend the basics of the faith, if you don't know the if you don't know how to do a good examination of conscience, you you're not going to you're not going to have your compass is like spinning. You know, you're, you're, right. you're, you're in a, a, a metal building with a compass. You need to get out of that metal building so you can get your, your, um, your, your bearings. You know, I, I was at mass last weekend and we had a visiting priest. So our pastor uh, took, he's from Poland and uh, he took a vacation. And so we've have been having some visiting priests and uh, and last weekend uh, we had this retired Irish priest, and um, he was rock solid with, with his faith. And uh, and I'm not going to remember it per se because he said it so eloquently. But he was really talking about uh, well, well, he was at, at a talk and someone was talking about a certain subject, and it was and then he was talking about you know Jesus, and and it was very insightful. And it was just people were learning a lot from him, and then and then he then a, then a, the the uh, the local priest came by, and to this talk, and he invited the local priest to get up there and to talk a little bit about what he thought about just Jesus and relationship with Jesus. And when he started talking, um, everybody was just tuned in, and and what he was saying in in words, it wasn't much different than what the the lecturer was saying. But, but people were just memorized by how this priest was describing Jesus and some attributes about Jesus Christ. And hmm. at the very end, they commented and they said, 
you know, what was they, or actually the priest finished and then the lector guy got back up there and he, and he continued and he was taking questions and they, they commented about how, just how profound, because the pastor had left the building at that point, how profound that was. And, mm-hmm. and they were kind of questioning, why was it so much different? And the lecturer guy said, well, I know a lot about the person of Jesus Christ, but this priest knows Jesus Christ mm. intimately. And that was the difference. He knew him, not about him, but he knew him. And so I think that kind of goes with us. When you talk about learning your faith and, and what we believe about our faith, I think that's 100% important because that's what forms our conscience. But at the core of everything, because what is love? What is forgiveness? What, if, what is all these virtues? That is Jesus Christ. And do we really know him? Not about him, but do we really truly intimately know him? Yes, how many guys out there that are striving to be good Catholic guys would say, I have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Yeah. We're called, you know, what's the first commandment given to the, the Israelites? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I think I tend to err on the mind. Like, and what about your heart? I know you're yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> your heart. And maybe that's a, I think the, you know, the stereotype, and this is largely true, of course, is that men tend to be, think, think more with their, their, their hearts kind of go by the way, by, by the wayside. Cause that's not manly. It's not masculine mm-hmm. to be, to go that way. So we tend to err on, just intellectual knowledge, you know, intellectual and not, not heartfeltness in our, in our walks with God. But guys, but guys really, I think that's kind of a misnomer in some, some regards is, is because if you asked me, I'd probably say the same thing that you just said, but, but if I take a step back, you know, you know, yes, a lot of guys are stoic, you know, and, or or they try to be because they think that's what the image of a man really is. But how many guys that you know that watch movies are, are, or uh, I guess movies would be a good example, can mm-hmm. watch certain movies and their hearts are truly moved and, and they are. I mean, how many times have you watched a movie and, and, and then tears are coming out of your eyes because of the movie? We, we do have that really heartfelt emotion. True. Too. But I think yeah. they program to be wanting to be stoic. But we men are loving, caring individuals too. We really are. Right. I think we're programmed to not show that sometimes. Right. I think when I push my faith, I tend to like what I need to work on. Oh, I need to memorize defenses of all these Catholic doctrines. You know, that's kind of what I focus on rather than God wants to know me. He wants to like, he wants me to sit down with him and love him. I remember one time, a long time ago, I heard a sermon when I was in college, actually, and during chapel, I went, so I went to a Protestant Bible college and during chapel, this, this was revolutionary for me. The, 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 the sermon was on God likes you. <laughs> and, and he was like, yeah, we've all heard, we know, we all know, and we've all heard that God likes us. I mean, that God loves us, but do you know that God likes you. Like he wants, he wants to sit down with you and like talk with you and get to know you. And speak into your life. So anyways, I, I've, I've always kind of been like, you know, 
yeah, God's like my parents. He's, he has to love me, you know? <laughs> but it's like, no, he, now I'm not saying he likes our sin, of course, or, you know, he likes us where we're at because he, I mean, he does love us and like us where we're at, but he wants to see us grow and progress. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I often think, you know, men or women or whoever, all of us that how much of how we view God or even Mary is a reflection of really some of the characteristics of our own parents. You know, we, we, I, I wonder that sometimes how we think, how we think of God, how close is that to how we think about our own parents sometimes? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, as we're growing up, the way we're treated by our parents a lot of times is what we directly transfer onto um, as we're ch- children. These are these imaginary characters before we build these in- more intimate spiritual relationships. They're kind of a figment of our imagination who God might be. And um, I don't know. I just wonder how much from a psychological aspect, how closely are our thoughts related to the supernatural world from the people who were the most influential at the time that we were developing our own personalities in our life. Yep. Oh yeah. No, there's no doubt in my mind it has a major impact on how you view God, how your parents were. Yeah. Is he a vengeful God? Is he a very authoritarian God? Is he a, a loving, caring, compassionate God? And how closely does that relate to how you view your father? You know, yeah. Growing up as well. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we're, we're about out of time here. We've, we haven't even covered wow. generosity. Oh, we're just warming up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, obviously, the, the, uh, the corresponding virtue is going to be generosity. If you're greedy, then be generous. So what would be the first step? If, you, if Mike, you were a spiritual director and some guy came in front of you and, and you guys were talking and you, you, the, you, you were so great with your reflective listening and clarifying of statements and that the directee came to the conclusion with your guiding that he is a greedy son of a gun mm-hmm. <laughs> and, that, and that he realized he needs to be more generous. Where would somebody start if you realized? Well, I, yeah. I, I saw a funny story of a, uh, of a good friend of mine who was a, a pastor and he was, there's this guy that was constantly coming to him and just whining, whining, whining about, you know, so-and-so is doing this to me. So-and-so is that and that be everyone's unfair you know, and, you know, basically he just felt like everyone was against him. Right. And well, my friend just got tired of it. And he said, I won't say that I will say the name, <laughs> not that anyone, <laughs> not that anyone would have, you know, this is like 25 years ago, but no one's going to know this person anyway. But he was basically like, you know, John Smith, when is the last time you ever did something for someone who can do nothing back to you? Someone, you know, when, when's the time you, you actually did something kind or generous to someone else who could absolutely not repay you in the slightest? Like, great. I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, as a parent, it was like, okay, well, I've got seven kids. I've changed all their diapers, you know, numerous times, each one of them. It's like, they can do nothing for me at that stage, right? That's like true active, active, you know of generosity 
caring for a child. But in the back of your mind, are you thinking, yeah, but this is going to pay off someday because they'll be changing my diapers. I am so far from that, that it's like, (laughs) (laughs) no, but seriously, you do have to keep that in mind. Like as you're raising kids, you have to keep as you're, you know, especially through the teenage years, you have to keep in mind that, you know, one day they're going to be choosing my nursing home. So I better be nice to these kids. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I know something that might connect with our listeners a little bit. So years ago, I was doing spiritual direction, not, not with someone in Idaho. Let me clarify that. <laughs> he, he was a younger married guy, been married for a few years, and they had a few kids. And, um, and, and he was just having the most difficult time with his relationship with his wife. And he was saying um, that, you know, that I want her to do certain things and she's not doing these things for me. And it was, all I want this and I want that. And it went, we went on for a long time and lots and a few sessions with it. And then we finally came to the conclusion. It was very similar to what you were saying. When did, yeah. what, what are you doing where you want nothing in return? Well, anyway, so we put this plan together and the plan was that he had to stop thinking that way. And that he was going to stop asking her or, or even mentally um, desiring these certain things from her. And he was just going to serve her, the things that were important to her. He was just going to serve her wanting nothing in return. And he had never done this before. And so the, the idea is we were going to meet in one month and he was going to spend a month um, wanting nothing from her other than just the ability to try to care for her and serve her and be, be a, open to what her, her needs were. Anyway, he came back a month later and he said, um, my, my relationship has never been any better hmm. now. He said something happened because once I lost that focus of always wanting to be served and now, ser- and now being able to serve her, I can see in such depth of how I'm making her feel just loved in her own life. That's beautiful. We met, we met then for a few more <clears throat> as time went by. And he basically said, my, my marriage is better than it's ever been before. And the things that he was wanting her to do for him and that she wouldn't do in time, they both just served each other. And it was just a beautiful thing. Anyway, but, but it, I think it was rooted in wanting to serve more than to be served. I think Jesus taught us that message as well. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we were, that's, that, that's, that's incredible insight you had there. Was that like on the spot? Like God just gave like, Pierre gave that to you. That's the way it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I had a similar situation when I, we were going through marriage counseling and um, before we got married, we went through some counseling just pre-marriage counseling, I guess you call it. And um, the subject came up of, you know, you, it takes two people, it takes you, each, each of you gives, gives 50% of the marriage, right? It's not, it's not a, a has a, you, you both have to give, right. Make it work. And I, I was like, wait a second. No, I was like, it's a hundred percent, hundred percent. Right. We both right. give a hundred percent. It's not 50, 50. We both give a hundred percent into this. And I just, I really feel like God gave that to me when uh, the 50 50 is a mistake really. Cause if yeah. you, it's a trap, 
Because if you're thinking, I'm giving half and should be receiving half, then you're going to want to start tallying things or counting things. And, um, and that's a mistake because you're, you're wanting, you're wanting some, some investment. You want something returns on your investment where it should not be that way. No. To just completely love and serve this person um, for the sake of just loving and serving them. Yes. Yes. Right. And, you know, I love Ephesians 5. People, people dog on Ephesians 5, man, but it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And I love that verse, uh, I, I, but I love the next verse even more where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave his life down for us. He gave his right. life up for us. And so if, you know, what woman wouldn't submit to a man who's literally laying down his life for her? I, I agree. The, that is the absolute pinnacle of generosity there. And I think that's where many of us start off our marriages thinking that way. We're so in love with this person. All we want to do is to be around them, um, to be able to be in their presence. And we let, we, it's fulfilling to do things for that person. And, and then something happens along the way. I don't know what that is, but it's very common. Kids. You're right. I think exhaustion, the pressures of life. Um, but you know, they say something, something very special happens when you get into, um, um, like midlife and later into your fifties and sixties, I think the pressures of life diminish tremendously. You've done your job. You've raised these kids. They're out on their own. Yes. You worry about them, but not in the same way Mm -hmm. in your job for a while. You paid off certain things, you know, how to live within a budget. And so life just gets a lot easier. At that point, and I think you've had enough trials in your life. You know that you come out, you come out in the end, okay, and yeah, all that. So if, if you, know, you built up a, sex, a successful career, your the your money problems, your, your money worries, you know, are, are not as strong as when you're really young and, and just starting out. Well, you have less responsibility, so you don't have as many bills for one. A lot sure. of times, um, but I think money. And maybe this is just me and maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but, but to me, as you get older, money to me is not as important because you're finding out really what are the things that are the most important in life. Most important things in life, of course, is your relationship with God, but that's because that brings you peace and security, but it's friendships more than just buying things and having stuff. Mm -hmm. How many intimate, just quality friends do you have? I mean, those, that's, they say the richest man in the world is the guy who has at least a couple of close friends. Yep. Yeah. And those are hard to come by. And I think as we get a little older, we realize that how many, how many really um, significantly quality friendships does somebody have in their life? And if you really can say that you have two or three of those, you're a rich, rich person. Indeed. At the end, the, the most important things is, is connections and friendships. Yeah. Because I think in those friendships, especially friendships between just like two guys, I think, I think when you can really connect with somebody 
and you know that 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 person loves you um, and that you can count on each other. And, and I think that's a reflection of God. That's a reflection of how God loves us because, you know, the closest thing that we have that resembles the relationship with God is these loving, intimate relationships. And we can have them obviously with our spouse if we cultivate that, but we can have them with our friends, with our deep friends as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay, what's next? You want to hit another one real quick? Yeah, yeah. Well, we could go with sloth, anger, gluttony, or lust. <clears throat> you choose. We'll see where it takes us. All right, let's go with sloth. Man, I'm the master at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're speaking my language. Sloth, the the um, lack of zeal for the things of God. So, what does that look like today, 2019? Where, what do you, what do you see a real life kind of example of that? Giving you know, up on your family. I think a lot of guys do that. They, they, they don't invest in their marriage. They don't invest in their relationship with their kids. And what, what's behind that? Why do you think that happens? I, 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 ultimately, I think it's despair. Yeah, I think, I think so. I, you know, I think a lot of times people confuse it with like depression where where they, they've, they've lost kind of a drive. They don't see a, the bigger purpose, maybe, or they have confusion. I think they don't, they, they're not finding fulfillment or true pleasure. I don't mean self-serving pleasure, but just more like true fulfillment in life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do think despair sets in. I think, you know, what's, what's the number one medicine that's prescribed for people nowadays is antidepressant medicine. Oh, wow. And even though we're prescribing that by the thousands and thousands, um, people are not any happier <laughs> because yeah. it's not true depression. I think it's despair. I think, I think, I think that's great. Yeah. I know so, happiness. I think true happiness comes from a life of hard work, of yeah. doing something hard and completing a hard task, having that sense of self-worth and accomplishment for having done something, you know? Yeah. Your marriage is on the rocks. You work hard. Like, like the gentleman you were just talking about. Who, yeah. Uh, re- reframed his mindset into what, what am I going to, what can I get out of this rather than what can I give to this? Then that person, like their life was changed. Do you think there's a misunderstanding when, when, when we talk about happiness, like people, people say, you know, what's the ultimate goal? They, they want to be happy in life. But, but do you think that there's maybe a misunderstanding a little bit about what happiness is? Because for some people, I think to them, happiness is that they're always feeling joyful in their life. They're always feeling pleasant in mm-hmm. their life. And that if there's anything that has to do with a sacrifice 
or something that there brings about a struggle in their life, then they see that instantly as, as they're not happy because they should have this just, just overwhelming pleasantness all the time. Yeah. I don't think that's part of life. I think no. you have struggle in your life to grow. You do. Yeah. And that's, we, that's the, the classical sense of happiness going back to um, Aristotle, you know, when he talked about being happy, that was synonymous with living a life of virtue, not, right. not, not pleasure of, 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 you know, like a hedonistic type of pleasure where you're just running from one pleasurable sensation to another. It's like, okay, I'm a prudent person. I mean, I make good decisions. I, I, the, the, you know, the four cardinal virtues, right. It's just fortitude. Um, Prudence and um, I'm drawing a blank. You know, the, and then the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. You know, the person who lives those virtues, they're going to be happy. They're they're going to have they're going to up the odds significantly of having a happy life. And that takes work. Yeah. I, you know, I the person does that is not slothful. It's a slothful. <laughs> you know? But I think even I struggle a little bit with that happiness kind of thing because, um, you know, I try to think about, you know, sometimes, sometimes we sacrifice in our life. You know, let's say you have a lot of kids and you have a job and that job is, is providing for your kids. It's providing for your family, but it might not be the most enjoyable job in the world but it's it's doing for you what it needs to do and i think sometimes you just plow ahead and you do what you got to do because you have a commitment in your life mm-hmm. is that person happy I, I wouldn't say that when they go to if they go to work and they don't really truly enjoy their job that they're as happy as could be on the way to work but they might have a sense of peacefulness within them yeah they know it's they're serving their family. So like, like I think I wake, I'm a pretty happy person. I wake up happy, but it doesn't mean that everything that I do in life is creating happiness for me. But if I, if I truly believe that I'm doing what I need to be doing because God wants me to be in this place and doing what I'm doing, that brings peacefulness. That brings a peace amongst me. Even in the toughest situation, sometimes you can be peaceful. So I think yeah. I, always, I always strive to be peaceful more than happy. Yes. I yes. think I'm just lucky that I'm happy too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Victor, have you heard of Victor Frankel? I don't think so. He's a Holocaust survivor. Okay. And so he was imprisoned in a camp. He wasn't happy, was he? <laughs> well, you know, he, at that time, they, or was he? Yeah, they 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 um, subjected him to ex- experiments. Oh my goodness! He, he was a psychology professor, I believe, at a university, and mm-hmm. so he used the opportunity to, uh, I guess, you know, even though he was being subjected to these experimentations. Um, he, he used that opportunity to, as almost like an education. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things he talks about is in his book, um, 
I forget the name of it. Victor Frankel. Ah, it's escaping my mind. It's, it's like between the um, stimulus and the – I should have thought through this before I started blabbing my mouth. But Just make it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's, there's, there's a choice between the stimulus and your, cho- and your, and your, and your um, action. Um, there's, you, you, there's, a, there's a space there where you have a choice to, to choose how you are going to act. So even though he's being subjected to these tortures, these experimentations, he still had a choice in how he would respond to those, you know, how, how he would choose to respond. And so like if someone in that situation can say, I will choose to respond rather than just respond how my gut tells me to respond, right? Then we in our life, in our modern houses and all the, the pleasures, the, the, all, all the opportunity we have, we can still choose to react um, to, to whatever thing comes our way. We can still choose to be happy. We can still, we can still choose to have joy no matter what is, is being thrown at us. I'm not saying it's easy to do. Right, but Scripture tells us to do that. Look at, read the first chapter of Philippians. Mm-hmm. You know, count it all joy when you're going through it, suffering. I think it can be a learned behavior too, because I, I remember growing up, probably my mom. She's pretty, very, pretty, very spiritual, but she would talk in that sense that when certain things happen in life, you make a decision on how you want to react to it. And her thing was always when somebody did something that was mean or not very nice, that she would pray for them. So you have a choice. Do you get angry and you react or do you try to see it at a deeper level? And I think you're being very charitable by saying, you know, that person, you know, was just as mean as could be to me. And you could be very charitable and say, you know, they, they, they probably have a lot going on in their life. Mm -hmm. Might be going through a divorce. You give them the benefit of the doubt. And you say, I'm going to pray for them, even though they just kind of abused you, you know, verbally. Right. So, but, so I think it's a choice. And, you know, with most things in life, it's a mindset. When these things happen in life, this is how I'm choosing to respond. And the more and more we do that, it becomes a habit. And the more that, that things we do in a certain way and it becomes a habit within us, it becomes a part of who we are. And I, I noticed like with my mom, um, that was who she was. At her core, she was charitable. Now, was she born that way or was that what she developed within herself? I, right. So, so can we do that kind of stuff? In our we, 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 all, we all have certain temperaments, that right. just personality traits that we're born with, but that doesn't, that's no excuse. You know, just if, if you're, if you were born with kind of an aggressive personality, that's yeah. no excuse to run all over people. You know, I hate that. Well, that's just the way I am. It's like, no, you have a choice. You still have a choice to do that. <laughs> and, you know, people change. You know, my, my wife, she loved, years ago, I remember, she became kind of infatuated with, uh, like, the Myers-Briggs, you know, with, oh, yeah. the, with yeah. the personality styles and temperaments and all that. And we would do these tests all the time. And, and actually, our spiritual director had us do a lot of this stuff, too. And um, so we knew exactly where we, what we were. But, um, but the funny thing was, you know, we've been married a long time now, my wife and I, 
And so let's say a decade goes by, two decades go by, and we, we you know, every decade we take these tests and, um, and we see ourselves shifting. And mm. my wife and I were opposite in a lot of different ways. And in many ways now, over a couple of decades now, we have actually flipped. So when they say, you know, that's the way I am, I can't change, that is not true. Mm. Even being an introvert, extrovert, some people say that's just who I am, that's who I'm going to be. But I think you, de- you can develop different traits and you can become much more of an extrovert, even if you were an introvert in a lot of, you yeah. know. So my wife and I, it's kind of funny, we've almost flipped, you know, over, over a couple of decades. And it's just because we, we've grown as people. And right. So I do, I do think you have some control over, over not only who you are, but who you become. Yeah, that's true. On the, on the introvert, extrovert spectrum there, I, I used to be a major introvert to where it was almost disabling. Yeah. And, and now I'm like, I mean, you, you've known me now for a few years. I'm, I'm like uh, way more on the extrovert side. than Yeah. Yeah. Side. You know, I mean, I, I still kind of can fluctuate, but way more outgoing than I, I used to be. Because I think, I think we learn like, like, you know, int- one of the definitions of an introvert is when you spend time with people, are you energized by those encounters with people or, or does it drain your energy? Even though you might like to be around people, does it suck your energy or does it energize you more? Mm-hmm. And if it takes energy away from you, you're probably an introvert. And that's why introverts, even if they like people, they have to escape at some point because that's how they recharge their batteries. Extroverts, you can put them around people and they never have to leave because they're being charged by, by those encounters. Yeah. But an introvert can also, you know, as they get to know who they are as a person, they, they can also know that, hey, I need to be around people. People feed me. Or if I have a purpose, my purpose is, you know, maybe to be around people and share the word of God or have these encounters with them. They see a deeper meaning in these encounters. And in some way, it doesn't just drain all of their energy because it feeds them by supporting their purpose in life. So I think the more we can realize what the benefits are of different behaviors, I think it does internally change us as well. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what our topic was. Zeal. (laughs) Sloth and zeal. Okay. Or sloth. Have you heard people say sloth? Pronounce it that way? Sloth. Sloth. No, never. <laughs> oh, Bishop Barron says sloth. Wow. Then it makes you question, yeah. have, I, have I been saying it wrong all these years? <sighs> Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're in good company. Yeah. Zeal. Yeah. Lack, sloth, a lack of, lack of zeal for the things of God. Boy. Yeah, How do you get zeal, Deacon Pat? How do you get zeal? Well, what do you do when you're just like, you just don't have zeal? Is it, I mean, I think of some people that just say you need more discipline. But that, I, I think, I think discipline, I don't know if that's the answer to this question, but I think that's one of the most, one of the most misunderstood things in the Christian life, because as Christians, we're disciples. And what are disciples first and foremost are disciplined people, disciplined in the ways of God, in the mm-hmm. ways of 
serving God. And so in our cult, in our culture, that's not disciplined at all. That's one thing that we're, we're all lacking very much is really developing the, the discipline in our life. But to answer your question about how do you get zeal? I think it, I think it's, it's not an external thing. I think it, it, it really has to do with taking a step back and really trying to identify at its core who I am as a person through God's eyes. Who does God want me to be? I think, I think so often we do not spend enough time trying to think about what is our own uniqueness in, in who God wants me to be. So, so often, especially guys, we want to compare ourselves to somebody else. And, and we, maybe there's people in our lives that we look up to, or there's characteristics of certain people we look up to, and that's not a bad thing, but we're taking our eyes off of our own uniqueness. God created me to be this certain person, and do I know who that person is? And I think that has to do a lot with developing discernment in your life. You're, you're prayerful, having a prayerful life, but discerning things all the time and getting to know really... Um, how God has been working in your own life to develop you um, to who you should be. I think, you know, how many guys do you know have a real strong relationship with a spiritual director? You talked about that earlier. And they said, you know, no man can go through life alone. They need a, a wise partner to help show them the way. And so I think we need spiritual guides. It doesn't matter how holy you are, how spiritual you are, you only know life the way you know life. You need somebody else to be that reflection of God, um, to be able to even reflect your own light of God off of that person and back to you. The, the way we actually look in this world is different than the way we see ourselves in our own reflection in the mirror. Mm -hmm. You know, that we need somebody else to, to really give the whole picture the 3D picture of the relationship with God. And so I, I think there's many elements to, to answering your question. How do we get zeal in our life? I think it's a prayerful life. I think it's learning discernment in your life. What's right? What's wrong? What's the ways of God? What's not the ways of God? What are the ways of the world, the devil, and the self that work against us? How do we identify those things in our life? But that spiritual director. Now, it's not anybody who calls himself a spiritual director. It needs to be a spiritual director that you can connect with on a yeah. deep I think that's really important. But I think that's a lacking thing in our Catholic Church today, the availability of qualified and authentic spiritual directors. Amen, yeah. They're not out there. I mean, how many, how many do you remember how many um, families we have at OLV? No, but tremendous. Yeah. yeah. And like, we have one priest, like, how is well, he going to give any spiritual direction? Well, they can't. And most priests, yeah. Yeah, they can't be spiritual directors. <clears throat> They've got too much on their plate. Yep. So I think what we're missing, you know, you know, some of the best spiritual directors are like monks and some for, and for ladies, a lot of times we're, we're, we're sisters. We're the, yeah. nine. we um, just had a couple of sisters move in. Did you, did you ever meet sister Sheila and sister Susie? Yeah, I heard they got property now, right? Close. Yes, they, they are right by our house. You can and add. they're awesome. I they're mean, they're right, awesome. Right across the street from the church, basically. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, we've been hanging out with them quite a bit. 
And I think I'm thinking, boy, Sister Susie, or rather Sister Sheila is, she's, she's pretty good. I I might like try to hit her up for some spiritual direction. But I've, I've another. Think, go ahead. I was just um, say I think my I think my wife Liz went to her. Oh, she did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and she was very pleased. Yeah. Good. But I think you have to try it. A, a good spiritual director, and I think I told you this before. <clears throat> a good spiritual director would would probably say something like this to you. Would probably say, um, "I might be this." The, oh, they or or let me back up. They might say something like that. I can direct anybody. Um, I might be the right spiritual director to you, or I might not be. That's for you to decide. And you don't decide in the first minute. We have a session or two or three. And if this feels like it's helpful, if it's fruitful, if you feel like you're growing from this, then we continue for a while. Even if I'm the right spiritual director, maybe I'm only the right spiritual director for some time. Mm-hmm. When, when you decide that you need to have somebody else, my feelings are not going to be hurt because I'm supposed to be here doing the will of God, not the will yeah. of me person. A, a good spiritual director will not have an ego. What? No, <laughs> be, because they realize who's doing yeah. the spiritual direction. The person isn't. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit. So can you have a spiritual director that's the opposite sex? Sure you can. Can, can, can women go to a, a priest? Can, can a man go to a nun? Can, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Could, could a priest go to a lay woman as a spiritual director? Could a nun go to a lay man as a spiritual director? The answer to all that is yes. Okay. The answer is yes. Because what are you looking for? When you're looking for somebody in a spiritual director, what as a spiritual director, <clears throat> some people want to have somebody ordained. Somebody wants to have somebody maybe in the religious life because that's what they're seeking. But what you're really looking for is <clears throat> a mature individual, mature in their faith, who's a holy person, who has a, an, an intimate prayer life, who's connected with the Holy Spirit, and who is very giving of themselves. Hmm. That's really what you're looking for. Now, do they have to be ordained or religious? No, but if you're a Catholic and you're wanting a, a spiritual director, I've had this question sometimes. I heard there's a really good spiritual director who's a Protestant, and can I go to them for spiritual direction? And my answer to that has, has always been, why would you want to do that when they have a different view of the faith than we do as a Catholic? You'll want to go to the Catholic person if you're really wanting direction in our faith and our faith. Sure. Yeah. So, sure. but, but, but as you know, there's a lot of holy Protestant people out there and, and, and it's good to have them as friends, but for someone directing me in my spiritual journey, I want somebody of the same faith. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I mean, you can always get nuggets of, you know, of, good things from anyone, you know, uh, there's even truth in uh, other religions besides the Christian faiths. But it, when you're looking for someone to direct your life, I'd go, I'd want to go to someone that had the same, the same mindset and uh, <coughs> outlook uh, was uh, on, on, on the faith. 
just I mean, just, I just can't. I just I don't understand these people who marry marry someone who has a different religion or no religion. I, I that to me just blows my mind because there's nothing more important to me than my relationship with God. Yes, I just said that people like my relationship my my relationship with God is more important than my late my, than my relationship with my wife. And so if we don't share the same view on religion, then there's no way my, my marriage is going to be ever going to be um, able to be a hundred percent. It's always going to be, it's always going to be a little bit, there's always going to be some, something that just rubs us wrong. I mean, it might be, you know, 500 grit sandpaper, but you know, rather than 60 grit sandpaper, but there's going to be some sort of grit there. It's true because, you know, when you first get married, I, I think we're all optimistic that life's going to be wonderful and full of roses and, and it's just going to be beautiful. But the reality is, is, is we will have tough times in our life. That's, that's the reality. It happens. And what do Catholics do, healthy Catholics do, when they're having difficult times in their life? They, they run to the church. They run to the sacraments. Mm-hmm. They run to adoration. Now, if you have one Catholic that has that mindset and the other one is not Catholic, where are they going to be running to? If you're, you know, are you running in union to Christ and the sacraments? Yeah. Or, or anyway, that you're right. So I agree with you. Yeah. So I have a question on zeal. Another question on zeal. When I think of zeal, I think of an emotion. I think, uh, and, and we know that emotions come and go. They can't be trusted. You might, you might be feeling something that's not the truth. You might feel uh, depression and, and anxiety or something when it's not true. It's not real. So uh, can you, when I, because when I think of zeal, I think of some sort of emotional high where I'm, I'm, I'm seeking God with all my mind, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it's just like this high that I have. Yeah, you know, when you're saying that, so the thoughts is going that is is flooding my mind right now as you're talking is yeah. is what you're describing to me what almost seems like a manic zeal, mm-hmm. you know, where where I'm think I'm thinking the opposite. I'm thinking something much deeper. When you have a zeal for Christ, is you have this burning in your heart. That's an emotion. Well, keep going. Well, it seems like an emotional response to me. It does? Okay. So what I'm thinking is you have this burning in your heart of this, um, what do I, a yearning, a yearning for a connection with Christ and wanting to be close to him and doing his will above my own will. And it's this understanding that, that maybe it's, it's also ingrained with this idea of humility where I'm not thinking of myself. Okay. I'm thinking of there's no greater love than my love for Christ and my yearning to be close to him and to do his will in life and and everything that's behind who I am and 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 what I should be doing is this desire to do his will in my life. Now, is that translated into an emotion? It will be, but I think at a, at its core it's it's not an emotion as much as this just this deep connection understanding of of where what what am I drawn to in life 
And my, 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 my draw is almost like this magnetic thing that's pulling me towards Christ in my yes. life. So that, that's what I, think of a Z. more of a, you know, the alarm goes off at five o'clock and it's like, I, I don't feel like getting up and praying the liturgy of the hours, but I know I need to. And therefore I'm going to do it because I am drawn. I know I need to do this and I'm drawn to God. And I know this is the path to God um, that, and so I, I know I have to do this. I have to get up and pray. I think that's what counteracts despair in, in one's life too. And like, like who loves to get up early in the morning and go to work five days a week. I, I think it can, it can turn on people if you, if you think of it as a chore, but even in my own mind, sometimes I think about, you know, okay, I'm going to work today. I got to get up. I got to get going to work, but God, how, what are you going to do today? You know, I know my purpose is to serve you. I don't know exactly how I'm going to serve you today, but I'm going to keep my eyes and my heart open to where you are present in my life today. And when I keep that mindset and I go to work, it's almost every day something will happen. I'll have an encounter of someone uh-huh. in my office or I run into somebody on the way to work or it's as I'm pumping gas or as I'm stopping, you know, there's some encounter that I just think afterwards, that was a God moment. That, that was, truly was a God moment. But if I didn't have my eyes and my heart open to really serving God when the opportunity comes, I think I would miss it. Hmm. I'd miss it. Because I'm not really one that will go out there and is an evangelist. You know, I'm not an in-your-face evangelist or apologist. But maybe I'm an opportunist. <laughs> when okay, yeah. When things will 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 create an opportunity, if we really have that that desire to do God's will in our life, these the opportunities happen and we fulfill them in our in our own unique way. We just have to be careful. We're not trying to set standards in our life that I I should have reacted to this this way the way that Joe reacts to this way. But I'm not Joe. I'm going to do it in my own way. And I think when you do it in your own way, it comes across as authentic as well. Yeah. We got to wrap it up. It's been over an hour. Okay. Okay. What's your wrap up dialogue? Well, here at the Idaho Catholic podcast, our theme is be imitators of me as I am of Christ. First Corinthians 11, one. And so as you guys have been listening to this, this podcast, I hope that we have been imit that you, you would feel like being imitators of us. Um, like, like Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that that's what we want to be for other people as imitators of Christ to show the way. And we asked Simon of Cyrene to pray for us. He's the patron saint of the, what we call the reluctant participant. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who needed help, Jesus Christ need, needed help to carry his cross, and therefore we do too. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on the uh, show. Mike. Hey, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Great. Good night. Bye.